have a, <clears throat> an opportunity this morning that's um, it, it's kind of a missional kind of thing. Um, it's, it's, um, I can answer these questions now instead of later. It's not uh, necessarily how we focus on missions here at, at uh, Church of Barrogate, but I, I like this, and so I asked Anna if she would come this morning and talk to us about this. Uh, we believe very strongly in our, in our deaf community here, and we've, we've invested a lot into this. In fact, we invest a lot um, per week into our, in our, into our deaf community here. And so uh, Anna is one of our interpreters, and she is, is having an opportunity to do something that, that, will, that will potentially prepare and even uh, set stage for um, maybe overseas missions and some things like that in this same context. So I wanted to take a few minutes and explain to you uh, what she's got coming up. Anna? Guys. I'm going to set that there. Good morning. So as you said, I'm Anna Roberson. Um, I started here last fall as an intern, so I'm normally over in that corner if you've ever come to second service. Um, so I just have the honor of telling you guys what I'm doing um, and just be patient with me because I'm trying to get about 10 years condensed into five minutes. So we'll see how this goes. I've got my nice little who, what, when, where, why presentation to make sure we cover all the bases. Um, so who is me? Pretty good, we good on that one? We'll go to the next. I put the what, when, where, and why together. No, not the why, because the why is the fun one, so we're gonna do that one next. Um, basically, I will be working with Youth With A Mission, short is YWAM, and we, um, basically the goal of Youth With A Mission is super different depending on each place, but we in DC focus on the deaf community. And so I am planning, God willing, to be there for two years, starting in about three weeks, August 20th. And really we do focus on international deaf communities. And really there's a, just a heart to um, either go to those communities or train up deaf to go to those communities that are unreached. Um, that's just a really big deal. So, the why. Okay, so there's me. I'm 12 in the first picture. Um, and I put that in there just because that was when I met God. And it really just changed everything for me. And basically, by the time I was 13, I have like a story of when the Lord broke my heart and I was crying for unreached people as a child, basically. And um, so that was just really beginning this journey. And by 15, my trajectory was set and I knew that I was going to go into missions. Um, and so... That just was kind of, I went into high school with that mentality. I started taking sign language classes, fell in love with the language, but I was like, I don't really understand how this fits in. This doesn't make sense. And so in 2016, I went off to Costa Rica. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be with Spanish people forever, which might be true. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but the fact is that at every transition point, God put deaf people or interpreters. And so in every place where I could have forgotten and been focused on something else, God was like, hey, don't forget about this. Dream about this. And even in one situation, I met a deaf boy on the street of all places. And it was just confirmation after confirmation that not only do missions and deaf people fit together, but I fit into that story. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so yeah, over the last two years, I have been getting my degree in sign language interpreting so that I would have the sign language basis to be able to go into um, a fully immersed situation like the one that I'm going into and sign all day long. Um, so second picture, that is last year in Nepal and it was at a deaf school. And the crazy thing was like, there are so many just wide open doors into the deaf community. Um, I literally just Googled the deaf school, figured out how to take the buses and showed up and they were like, you're American, you know sign language. Yes, you can come and teach. And I was like, okay. And it was really much more just community and being like, okay, here's some American signs, here's some Nepali signs. And so kind of like the English as a second language teaching class is kind of what went down. Um, but it was just like, that was an example of the way that in deaf communities across the world, if you just sign, they're automatically welcoming you. And so it's this example of the harvest being so plentiful and the workers being few, because I was staying at a YWAM base in Nepal with like 30 missionaries, but none of them knew sign language. And so just that one gifting that the Lord gave me was enough to begin to make connections that possibly the Lord will use and I'll be able to go back one day with missions teams. Um, and then something that I find really interesting, um, because we can kind of get like, okay, unreached deaf people and unreached nations, that kind of makes sense. Um, but I think that there's actually a lot of unreached and undiscipled people in reached nations. And I think that Church at Briargate gets this, um, but like the statistics are that 90% of deaf people are born to hearing parents. And really a high estimate is that 25% of those parents learn sign language. And so that really means that a lot of deaf people are really, they could have come to church every day of their childhood, but their parents don't get it. And so there's no interpreter there. And so they really never actually understood what that meant. Um, I know this to be true because my first deaf friend was a 12-year-old girl that came to church every week and her parents didn't go to an interpreted service. And so every week I was just like, okay, I am in ASL one and I will sign with you. Um, but like she, she had like this glimpse, but she had no way of fully understanding the gospel because it wasn't in her language. Um, and this is also the case with someone I met during my internship who was about my age and he was saying, yeah, I grew up in the church, but like, I really don't understand it. There was never an interpreter. Um, so really my heart is that people like that who maybe got a tiny glimpse could come to somewhere like DC where I'll be staffing and have that opportunity in their language to encounter God in a very real way. And then when they get that, then they can go to places like Nepal and they'll have that access to go to unreached nations. Um, so that's kind of where I'm starting. And so possibly from there, I'll be going to multiple nations that are unreached. Um, that's kind of throughout the plans and praying through it. So if you stay connected with me, um, I would love to share more about that. And we will go to the how. Basically, it's through the prayers and financial support of the saints. Or if you're not a saint, you can also support me. That's fine too. Um, <laughs> um, 
So I just want to say, like, if you're struck by anything that I've said during this, please come and meet me and talk to me. I'll be in the back afterwards. I've got, like, little prayer cards and stuff so you remember me and praying for the deaf community because it's really important to me. Um, And so, yeah, just as the service continues, maybe as your mind's wandering during the sermon, no, you wouldn't do that. Um, maybe only the non-saints would do that. Um, so just ask, ask God if maybe you would partner with me in this. Um, so, yep, just grab a prayer card and come see me. Thanks. Don't leave, Anna. We want to pray for you. Oh. I, I really do think that this is one of the things that... Um, that that has to be like the next big step in missions. There's a lot of uh, uh, deaf communities, a lot of different groups around the world that the deaf community and other places in the planet are really considered second-class citizens in a lot of countries, a lot of places. They don't, they just kind of pushed off to the side. Uh, that's not okay. And so uh, we believe in this and we wanna, want to uh, pray for her and pray for the, the idea of this. So why don't you guys stand with us and I want you to stand right down there and we're gonna have anybody that wants to come up here and join us. And we want to pray for her and, and pray for the bigger picture, too. She's, she's going to D.C. to, to do this uh, for two years. I told her I would love to see sometime in the future when she goes overseas uh, to accomplish this. We want to, we want to jump in and partner with, with that kind of mentality. That's a, that's a big thing, I think. And so, so let's pray. God, we thank you so much for uh, just the opportunity, just right here first, to, to acknowledge that um, the deaf community is is uh, in desperate need of you. They need, they need people to care about you. They need people to carry the gospel uh, to them. So, Lord, we ask you to anoint the, the big picture with this first, and then God also anoint and guide Anna through this as she's taking steps and uh, doing the, the D.C. thing and, and seeing what that would mean long term. And, uh, Lord, we ask you to guide her and lead her through this, anoint her, give her insight into this, and, uh, and help her to be part of something that is that is way bigger than her, way bigger than, than a, a moment in time or a people. And that's an entire group in our, in our world that, that uh, are deaf and that desperately need you. So God, we thank you for this. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Keep her strong with you and support all the stuff that she needs supported to accomplish this. In the name of Jesus, amen. Man, this is, this is one of those things that I think is... Um, so we have missionaries that will go to Saudi Arabia. We have missionaries that will go to um, Africa. They'll learn a language, and they'll go to that country. And then there are some other countries, maybe a few countries, that will have a language that's similar or close enough. Uh, sign language is one where you can go pretty much around the world, and it's a consistent language. I mean, there's differences. Every country has its own. ASL means American Sign Language. There is differences, but you can communicate with people all over the world in a way that, that a missionary that learns a language to that country cannot. So I, I just think this is, this is an interesting thing. Um, I'd like us to uh, pray for uh, Josh and Liz real quick. Liz, Liz's grandfather, he was, he's been here. Um, he passed away a couple days ago, and she was very close to him. He was the minister in the family, uh, kind of the inspiration for her, these kind of things. And so they took off, and the, the services are tonight, I believe, They'll be back in a couple days, but, but uh, this, is, this is difficult for her. She was very, very close to her grandfather, difficult for the family. And uh, so let's just pray for him real quick. Lord, we lift Liz up to you. We know 
that, um, that, that this is painful for her, Lord. We know that, that she was so close to him. And uh, God, thank you for giving me the opportunity to meet him. Amazing man, loves you, uh, deep relationship with you. God, we, we acknowledge all of that. We know he's with you, but Lord, there is still a pain and difficulty with this. And so be with Paula and, and Jerry and Liz and, and all the family that's, that's, that's going to be in the services involved with this. Give them peace in their spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so turn with me to Psalms chapter 25. I did want to mention also my wife is in um, a foreign country right now, the Dominican Republic. Thank you. I knew this, but she's gone so much. I don't know anymore. Uh, she's in the Dominican. She had an opportunity to go as, as women's mysteries uh, district director. They wanted to, to see if this is where they want to take missions trips and things like that. And so she, she's kind of tired She's been doing a lot lately. She's been uh, all over the place, different countries, all kinds of things. And so I could tell she was dragging as I'm taking her to the airport at 4 in the morning. Of course, that might have been because it's 4 in the morning. But, but uh, if you think about it this week, pray for her. Pray for her, just good strength. She was very nervous about this one because she is going to be teaching people how to sew. I, I, I said, what? You've sewn all your life. What? She sews stuff all the time. She said, I don't know. This is just, and I was like, it's four in the morning. She's, she's weepy. So, uh, but when you think about it, pray for her and, and uh, pray for safety, all that good stuff. And I, I get excited for her to do this. I have to give her a hard time that she's leaving me and abandoning me, all that kind of stuff. But I really do. I'm proud of her. I, I, you know, I don't tell her this, it, but I am proud of her. I, I, I'm excited about all the things that she gets to do with this. So, so the, the, the title of this is Where is Truth? And I had, I had an event happen this week. I actually had a couple different events that actually really confirmed this over and over and reaffirmed this, this uh, message uh, for me. And it's one of those things where you put all the notes down and then you realize, hey, all of this stuff this week is happening that fits right in the middle of this. But, but I, I was thinking about this having to do with there's so, there's so much onslaught today. And, and, I, and I know some people that I've known for close to 20 years and I found out through, through, through different avenues that these people have walked away from the Lord and they don't believe Christianity is, is truth anymore. They believe that there's other options and meditation and all these other things. And, and uh, that, just, that stuff just gets me when I hear that. It just it cuts my, my spirit uh, when I hear those kind of things. And I was thinking about this, that, that with all of the, the inundation of everything that's going on in our society today, so much stuff, so much stuff from every time you turn on a, a, a TV or or um, you know a, a website, or you're just sitting there having a conversation at work. There's so much information today that is, that is pushing against Jesus. It's pushing against um, truth. It's pushing against the Lord and all these kind of things. And and so in processing this, I I I want to kind of establish. This is more of like. Um, there is truth, and we need to see it, but I want to look at it in a few different perspectives as we're processing through this. Something that on a personal level, what do you really believe? And then on a, on a, um, a church level, what, what is the church going to do about it? Are we, do we tell people the truth? Do we not? Do we care about the loss? Those kind of things. And then kind of in a, um, in a, in a personal sense, Lord, how do, I, how do I dig down and I live for you no matter what? How do I push back against? And so those kind of things are going to, are going to be going on through this this morning to, to process this in a few different ways. In Psalms chapter 24, verse 4, 25, verse 4, it says, Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road. 
for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me. For you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. This word truth is becoming more and more stretched and attacked and changed. In fact, I think even the idea of truth is not being attacked as the idea of truth. In other words, is there such a thing as truth? It's not like somebody saying, this is a truth and I don't want to believe it. It's almost like this is a truth. Well, how do you know? What, is, what does truth mean? The, the idea of truth itself is even being uh, pushed and stretched and attacked in a lot of different ways. And to really ask yourself, what do you believe is absolute truth? Now, I, I don't mean the, a Christian at that point should say, well, God's word. But I don't mean that kind of answer. I'm saying in, in your brain, deep inside of your thinking and deep inside of your spirit, your soul, deep inside of you, what do you think is an absolute truth? There are some things that, that, that when I was a child, that these would be not even discussed. I was having this conversation a couple different times this week because of some unique settings that we would never have even addressed this subject when I was a kid. It wouldn't have even been something, and, and you could name five or ten of those right now, that society is really debating and society is really trying to process. That do we, and we wouldn't have even have thought that the conversation would have needed to happen uh, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. It wouldn't, wouldn't even have been a conversation. Is that truth? Well, of course you don't. You would, they, would, they would have been dismissed. What do you mean? Why are you even having that thought? Why are you even processing it? Why are you even talking about that? It's stupid. And now we got to a point, I always think about the scripture. It says in the last days that, um, that uh, humanity, society will embrace the truth or will accept the lie is the way it says that. And, and, and I believe what it's saying is that they will knowingly accept something that, that's not true. In other words, I know this is a truth, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe this. I know that this is an absolute. I know. I know in my brain. I know in my heart that this is the truth, but I am choosing to believe what is being accepted by society or culture or something over here. I think about this. Years ago, I was in Africa. This is, this is 20, 20 plus years ago, and, and uh, I was in Africa, and they've got these, um, these uh, billboards. That, and this doesn't exist now, but I was driving down the road, and you see this big billboard, and it's advertising cigarettes. And the brand of the cigarettes is Life. They're called Life Cigarettes. And the billboard said, Life Cigarettes, smoke them. They're good for you. I'm dead serious. And I was like, what? I don't think, who, who said that? Smoke them, they're good for you. So, and they're even called life. Now, you talk about manipulation on a core level. That's like manipulation for five-year-olds, you know, that kind of thing. But, but it's, it's, it's interesting how we've got those same kind of billboards in our world right now, in America, in our life, in our existence right now. Do this. It's good for you. Think this way. It's the right way to think. And, and, an, and a casual thinking individual says, no, that's not true. That's just not true. Is, is there such a thing as, as truth, as an absolute? Yes, there is. 
There is. And, and when, when people start arguing that, because it's amazing, specifically in higher academia right now, in college, those kind of things, we try to, we try to take all absolutes away, and, and you'll see discussions, well, is that really true? We're even seeing this oftentimes on the news and things like that. Well, is that really good for our economy? I was, I was watching this last week that um, we're talking about how well our economy is doing in relationship to just a few years ago. And that uh, President Trump had, had predicted that we were going to have a four GDP. And everybody was saying, that's not even possible. We're going to be, we'll be do good, doing good if we have a half or 1% GDP. And we've already hit four. And that was impossible two and a half years ago. It was not going to happen. And so now the pundits on TV are saying, well, is, is, um, is a four GDP, is our economy growing so well? Is that really good for us? Is that real? I'm like, you're an idiot. I've got more money in my pocket. Is that good for us? Idiot. I don't, I, I've got nothing else except that. Because why? We are choosing to believe lies. So I, I, um, <clears throat> I saw a, a girl this week. We were sitting at a restaurant. Lynn and I got there much earlier than the, than the uh, people were meeting there. And so we're, we're, sitting, we're sitting outside, and it, we're just hanging out and, and um, drinking coffee. And I was. Lynn doesn't drink coffee. And and the, and the waitress come, come back and forth, and, and I know she had tattoos on her arm, and I always use tattoos as an opportunity to talk to people. Because if you're willing to ink something on your body, there's probably a story behind it, and most of the time you're pretty proud of it. And so talk about it. Every now and then you'll, you'll say, hey, where'd you get that tattoo? I was drunk. I don't remember. I mean, there is that one too, but most of the time there's a reason, there's a story and all that stuff. So she had some stuff written down, and I noticed on one of her arms... It's in cursive. The word redeemed, and, and I saw washed on there. So I asked her, I said, what's that on your arm? And so she reads the statement. Basically, the statement is something along the lines of this. I am redeemed, and I have been washed clean. And so I began to ask her about that statement, and why did she put it on her arm? Where did she get it from? These kind of things. And uh, she said, I read it out of a, a book uh, years ago, and it really stuck with me, and I liked it, and so I, I went back, and I put it on my arm, and I said, so um, are, you, are you a spiritual person, or are you a Christian? Do you, do you have anything? Do you know about God? You know? I mean, this was over a little bit of a conversation, and she finally said, no, I'm not a Christian. I don't really believe in Christianity. I have a lot of spiritual beliefs, and, um, and I just I try to live a good life, and I try to live by what my heart says. Now, here's what's interesting. Now, I did talk a little bit more, obviously, to her and, and uh, tried to talk to her about the Lord, and, and she, she was a little standoffish with this. But, but, but I, it's interesting to me because the terminologies redeemed, tied together with washed clean, only comes from one place in all religious history, Judeo-Christian values, Judeo-Christian mentality. That doesn't come from Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, uh, doesn't come from anywhere else. Now, the idea of living a good life in karma and stuff like that, sometimes it sounds similar, but that's not what it said. It said, I have been redeemed and washed clean. That's a, that's a, that's a Christian mentality that comes from uh, Judaism originally, the concept of redemption. And it's interesting that even though she puts this on her, she tattoos this on her arm forever, she doesn't understand where it comes from, doesn't believe in it, and doesn't really truly 
uh, embrace the idea of truly being redeemed and washed clean. That, that was, that was uh, very interesting to me on a few different ways. And then the more I talked to her, the more you know, it just it gets in my head and it gets in my spirit and gets in my heart. And I, and I hurt for her because she wants to be redeemed. She wants to be washed clean. You don't tattoo something on your body unless you really, this is a big thing for you. I had this conversation with my son this week. He was talking, he saw a sticker on a car and he said, Dad, I, 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 he, he doesn't have a tattoo and he's horrified of needles, so I don't think he's going to get a tattoo, but he's as scared of needles as I am. And he said, I'd like to get that as a tattoo, this sticker on a car. And I said, why don't you, instead of inking that on your body forever, why don't you just get a sticker and stick it on your car? He said, Dad, I don't want to mess up my car. Is anybody else? What? You're right. I'm an idiot. I don't know what I'm thinking. So John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let me, let me add some, some other things into this so that we understand exactly what Jesus is saying here. I am the only way, I am the only truth, and I am the only source of life. Only. He's not saying I'm one of the ways. No one can come to the Father except through me. No one. This is, this is important. I went to Barna Research, and I looked up some statistics, and these are some strange statistics. Listen, listen to, if you just pull one of these statistics out and say them by themselves, you're like, okay. It's kind of discouraging, but, but let's look at them. First individual, but let's look at them together, too. 60% of Americans don't believe in Satan. Interestingly, almost 80% of Americans believe that there's a God. But 60% don't believe that there's a Satan. The next statistic, 54% believe that you can be under control of demons. What? How? How can you not believe in Satan, but believe that you can be under control of demons? Where do demons come from? They don't come from Satan, by the way, okay? They are fallen angels, just like Satan was. God created these angels to serve him, to do some things for him, and, and they, they rebel against God and they fall. If, how can you believe in demons and not believe in Satan? It doesn't make sense. So, 42%. Believe Jesus sinned while he was on this earth. 44% of Americans believe that the Quran, the Bible, and the Book of Mormon all express the same basic truths. Now, now here's an interesting, which is, that one, that's really goofy because they don't agree with each other. They really don't. The, the Quran, the Bible, and, and the Book of Mormon have very opposite views on many different things. That's why the debate, oh, right after 9-11, there was a big debate in the theological world, church world, and all this kind of stuff. Um, when people pray to Allah, isn't that the same as praying to God? I mean, it's all the same God. They just have different beliefs. Or whatever. That, that, that's, a, that's a goofy mentality. The Quran says that Allah believes that Christians should be killed. The Bible believes that Christians are from the Lord and Jesus died on the cross to make us Christians. You can't, that's not the same God. That's not the same. 
But, but we do this, and, and these are usually the church world that's really trying to be intelligent and, and do this kind of stuff. It's goofy. 54% believe that truth can be discovered only through logic, human reasoning, and personal experience. Well, if you believe that the Bible, Quran, and the Book of Mormon are, are all the basic same truths that's, that, that, that's for society, then how does the same group of people believe that it can only come through human reasoning, personal experience, and logic? We're a very confused people. Very, very confused people. And guys, this is where it gets into to kind of into our world right here is uh, how confused are we at potentially at different times and, and moments in our world where we say, well, I believe this. This is one of the things, in fact, you've heard me say this before. This is one of the most consistent things that I've seen in Christianity across the board that can be the most frustrating for me as a pastor. Not, as, not in my spiritual walk personally and not trying to tell people about Jesus, but just as a pastor and teaching and all this kind of stuff about how inconsistent our theology is. In other words, A plus B doesn't equal C in most American Christian brains. We say, do you believe this? Yes. Do you believe this? Yes. But they don't agree with each other. In fact, they disagree at some places. That, that, gets, that gets, as a, as a guy that stands up and teaches and preaches every single week, that gets frustrating to me. When I, will, when I will read something out of the Bible and a few weeks later somebody comes and says, hey, I believe this, and it's totally opposite of what the Scripture says. And you're thinking, why? Get in the Bible. Get in the Bible. Society is already messed up. Let's, let's not compound it by having the, the church be messed up. Let's get in the Bible and be consistent. What God, what are you trying to tell me? Now, I, I want to show some videos, and, and, um, and this is, this is uh, to, to confirm, reaffirm some of the things I'm talking about, about this inconsistency and the, the weirdness that... that that is our society, or whatever the case is. But I want you to think about this before we jump into this. Um, the concepts of truth, why would absolute truth matter? When I say something like, well, this is a truth, and then it cannot be changed, why does that matter? Is that important? Is it not, is it not important? And, and the idea, is there absolute truth? Where does truth come from? What is the source of truth? When, when you're looking, and this is another reason that I'm talking about this this morning, is when you, when you really get to a point where you're saying, God, I need to know this, or you're not even bringing God in, you're just saying, I need to understand this or know this concept. What's going on here? What's going on here? What's going on here? From, from, from how do I do things at work to how do I parent, about marriage, about finances, all this, where do you go to the source for truth or what you perceive to be truth. This is, this is a big thing. So why would truth matter? Is there truth and where does it come from? These are all very important questions uh, when we're looking at this. And, and again, oftentimes as Christians, we don't, we don't really um, establish in our minds and our spirits that God is the source for everything in my life. I'm not saying we're not... Um, we're not trying to serve God or we don't love him. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm saying when we really get there, there's like the, the, there's a small group of spiritual things in our life. God, we go to you for answers for that. And then there's all this other stuff. And I'm going to figure out how to get it over here or do this or whatever. Instead of saying, God, you can actually and should be the source for everything in my life. Everything. The foundation of this is, God, your absolute truth. Where do I go from there? So some videos. These are, these are TED Talks. You've heard me talk about these before. I really like TED Talks. Um, 
One of the things that I, one of the reasons I, I watch TED Talks, and I, and I watch a lot of them, I watch, and there's, there's thousands, thousands of these things, is because it really does give you a glimpse of kind of um, right in the middle of society kind of thing. Not, not the youngest, not the oldest, um, and not even just a certain demographic in the middle, but just kind of a, a swath across society that says this is the way uh, a society, and specifically American society, although there's TED Talks all over the world, American society, this is actually mainstream thought to a lot of different degrees. Okay, now let me, let me explain mainstream thought, uh, mainstream liberal thought. All right, for the most part, uh, not necessarily. There's a very strong anti-God, and since like 70% something of America says they believe in God, obviously this isn't that kind of mainstream thinking. All right, but with this, this guy is from this guy is from Boulder. <laughs> I thought that was interesting too. But um, <laughs> this guy's from Boulder. His name is Scott Carney, and he's gonna. I, I, this is like a uh, like a 30-minute um, talk. And I'm just gonna, I've just pulled little pieces out here uh, to get you. But it has to do with the idea of higher enlightenment and, and really uh, thinking beyond our limited humanness and the fact that there's truths out there and all this other stuff that we haven't captured. But it's all coming from a Buddhist mentality. So let's look at the first one. God. Nirvana, enlightenment, it doesn't matter what we call it, but pursuit of that divine force has inspired some of the world's greatest civilizations. Its most enduring architecture and foundational philosophies. It has also brought forth the wars that have time and again threatened to tear all of that down. But what can any of us mere mortals truly understand about the clockwork of the universe if we are to assume that it exists at all? Then the actual state of transcendence poses a pernicious problem. What is someone supposed to do with the rest of their time on earth once they have attained the ultimate knowledge? Revered gurus who teach that power and status are meaningless in an ultimate reality nonetheless have to muck about in the mundane world. They build institutions, they gather followers, and they preach their knowledge from lofty thrones. Is it hypocrisy when enlightenment simply reproduces familiar hierarchies? Or, to put it another way, how does the Buddha be in the world but not of it? God. So there's a lot of... Nirvana, uh, enlightenment, it doesn't matter. I feel like deja vu. Did we already go there? So there's a, there's a lot of things that he's saying, really squeezing this in here together, that all this stuff is the same. All this stuff is the same. Guys, it's not the same. Okay? Um, let's go ahead and watch the second clip, and then I'll um, explain a little bit more. This is about three or four minutes farther into the, to the thing. As we sat on those cushions, we learned that the world as we know it is an illusion. The universe doesn't obey the laws of physics, it obeys the law of karma. We also learned that even mortality is just a barrier to another life. And we, in a very difficult meditation, we imagined our own bodies as corpses in order to understand the limitless of death. 
As we now, what he's talking about is he, as a professor in Boulder, took a group of students to India, and they w went to these um, temples. And uh, they were looking at Hinduism. They were looking at things. They went to Tibet. They went to Thailand. In fact, I think at, at exactly where it's talking about right here, they were in Thailand. And uh, they, were, they were meditating, all this kind of stuff. And as he said, he realized that their bodies were just corpses. And this is interesting because he spends the next 15 minutes of this video explaining how one of his students that went with them is sitting on those cushions, having this uh, meditated state and all this kind of stuff. Uh, this was in the evening. Later, after the, the evening worship time, they, she went up to the roof of this temple, wrapped her shawl around her body, and jumped off and killed herself. And then he spends the, the rest of this talk trying to explain to, that, to everybody that we should respect life, that this is a tragedy, but she really did receive some higher enlightenment mentalities. That she really did understand that this body was just uh, not that big of a deal. And that life, now he kept saying, now we should respect life, but think of what she achieved. He's lucky it wasn't my daughter. Do you, do you see the arrogance and the blindness that goes along with this? And he couldn't figure out why she wanted to kill herself. Well, they had just spent three or four days talking about how this body means nothing and stepping out of this body and being spiritually enlightened is the purpose of life. What other path do you think she was going to take? We, we, we so convince ourselves of things that are lies. They're lies. This is, after he's explained all of the suicide of this girl and all these different things, now he, and he, and he, he comes back to the end, and this is kind of his, uh, toward the end, this is kind of his wrap-up. Go on to the third one. What we know about the clockwork of the universe is that we are alive right here and right now. And it does not matter whether there is a heaven or a hell or whether our spark of animation is just a quirk of chemistry or of physics. Whatever lies for us on the other end of death's threshold, we have a duty to live the lives that we have right now to their fullest. We need to be accountable for our actions and we need to take every moment as a lesson, every tragedy and every triumph to understand what it means to be a little more human, to be a body, a mind, and a spirit together. And in that sense, maybe we can all be bodhisattvas. Thank you. Bodhisattvas that he's talking about is Buddhism of somebody stepping outside of their existence and finding spiritual enlightenment. He just disagreed with himself four or five times in the same sentence. That, that we need to realize that there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's nothing. It's just nothing. So let's respect right now. Why? If there's nothing. And to realize that someday you can get that higher enlightenment and step outside of yourself and, and be disconnected from this physical body. 
well, then why are we respecting life? There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff going on around you all of the time in society. You would be surprised what the average person that you interact with, your neighbor, your friends, what they really believe. I think you'd be surprised. There's a lot of, there's a lot of ideas and a lot of stuff. And, and this, is, this is basically what's going on is they're trying, to, they're trying to bring God into their existence so they can hold on to him and, and, and create him in the image that they want. And, and here's, here's the thing. As we do this in the church world, too, and this is why I'm talking about this, we do this in the church world. We try to make God into a, not necessarily our image, but an image that we're comfortable with so that we know exactly what he does and how he does it, and we know the answer to everything. And we get, but then we get to these major points in life where we don't have the answers. And then we begin to cry out again. Well, if you've made God into some tiny little God that's really not big, he's not powerful. This is one of the things that I've watched in evangelicalism for all of my life is that there's not miracles. There's not gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's not supernatural things. There's not all this stuff. And then you come face to face with reality when you need a God of miracles and supernatural and gifts of the Spirit. You need all of those things. But you've put God in a little box where those things don't exist. They're not part of it. They're not part of this Christianity and God's word being absolute. Well, we believe most of God's word. And then you come to a place in life where you say, well, I've got to have God's word being powerful. I've got to have God's word being transcendent. But, but if you've put it into a box, it's not. And specifically, I've seen this, and I even experienced this in my own spirit life a little bit, is when, you get to, when, you, when you're raising children in this mentality where, okay, church is important, but not really, and God's word's important, but not really, and, and we should put God first, but not really, and, and our priorities really are the world and all the stuff of, of uh, life and, and money and, and, uh, and uh, all of the extracurricular things that life provide, all this stuff, then, then what happens is over time, You've, you've built a Christianity that will not sustain your children when they get into the bigger issues of life. It doesn't, it doesn't carry them. They, have, they, don't, they don't know how... They, Christianity, they can't lean on Christianity because God's small. He's not a priority. He's not that big of a deal. He's not important. It's not all this other stuff. It was, it was school and it was sports and it was education and it was, and it was the, the, the money and it was the job and it was all this other stuff that our lives were really saying was the priority. And then when they get into very difficult circumstances, situations, they, they, don't, they don't really have a big enough God to lean on. They don't have a powerful enough Holy Spirit to lean on. And so then they start looking for other things. They start looking for... I, I could not believe the, um, the uh, irony of the fact that this, this girl this week, she had tattooed, I am redeemed and I have been washed clean on her arm, but she didn't believe in Jesus. That's the only place you're going to get that redemption from. That's the only place. You can go to some Tibetan monk and, and have a, a moment of higher enlightenment. And you know what it gives you? The desire for suicide. It gives you emptiness. It gives you nothing. And rather than this guy dealing with it and saying, maybe we're all full of it. He, he goes on national stages and explains how this all is good. It all works together. Oh, yeah, it was horrible for this girl to kill herself, but in the big picture, it's not bad. Unless you're her parents. Unless you're her brother or sister. 
unless you're her boyfriend, unless, but oh, no, 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 you're, you're thinking small, let's think big, spiritual. Guys, we're living lies. And, and oftentimes we don't, know, we don't know where to get to the truth. The reason I'm asking, saying all this is to ask you the question, what do you really believe is truth? What do you really believe is life? And do we live that way? Do we think that way? Does it live out in our existence? Does it live out in work? Or do we live for Jesus at church and live for Jesus maybe at home, but we can't live for Jesus at work? It's too difficult. It's too challenging. I, I went to a uh, political thing this week. The National RNC was there. Senator Lambert was there. Some other things. And it was a, it was a, a roundtable for pastors. And they wanted pastors to, uh, they wanted to talk to pastors and all this kind of stuff and then have pastors give answers and all these other kind of things. And, and it was interesting to me how, how much we look, we look for answers in all other places than God. And all these, in fact, I'll tell you in case it comes out, I was very respectful and very polite, but they had asked all these questions. And I finally said to him, I said, you're the national RNC. Let me ask you a question. For the last 10, 15 years, the Republican establishment has been saying, let's be fiscal conservatives, but not moral conservatives. And we're less interested in things like abortion, and we're less interested in things like um, uh, uh, sexual identities and things like this. And you're pushing and pushing and pushing the, the true fabric of our country, which is the moral conservatives, not the fiscal, although that's important. You're pushing us away. And now you've got all these never-Trumpers and rhinos and beltway establishments and all this stuff. And regardless of whether you think Trump's a Christian or whatever, he, he has done more for the church in two years. And these things are not talked about on the media. He's done more for the church than any president in the last 50 years has done for the church. Very first thing he did when he got in office, he made an executive order against the Johnson bill. You know what the Johnson bill is? The Johnson bill says that I, as a pastor, can't talk about God or I'll go to jail for it and lose our 501c3. And he, as an executive, as the executive said, that's done away with. Churches, you can talk about what you want. What about all the Christians that have been in office over the years that never did that? Never did that. And I told the RNC, we, we are about God first, not your politics. And when you get that, you'll be able to understand why we vote the way we do and what we do. Until you get that, you're spinning your wheels. Guys, at what point does it come about, Jesus is the first place in my life. Jesus is first. We've got our pastors in India. I was very proud to see this, uh, this last week. He sent us some pictures. And uh, over the last two weeks, he showed the Jesus film in two different uh, settings. And he was discouraged because one of them it rained. There was only like a handful of people there to watch the Jesus film. And so I, I, I talked to him every Tuesday morning, and I, and I told him, I said, look, you, you, you're doing something bigger than you know here. You've got to think to yourself, when you get Jesus Christ out into society, into people's lives, you're turning over hard-packed ground. You're, you're tilling it up. You're turning it over. You're turning it over. I said, somebody may not have stood up right there and said, I want to accept this Jesus, but you're softening the ground. You're softening the ground. You keep doing that, and you keep doing that, and you keep plugging away and softening that ground, and all of a sudden, the seeds of the gospel start growing. It may take a while, but all of a sudden they grow. Because why? 
You believe Jesus is the answer. You believe his truth is absolute. You believe his spirit is the importance and his blood is the only hope for humanity. You think that way, you live that way, you believe that way, and you'll win your community. You'll win this area of India. By the time we got down, we were excited. And, but I told him, I said, keep doing it. Keep doing it. Show the Jesus film to one person. Keep doing it. Talk to him about Jesus. Keep doing it. <clears throat> he showed me some pictures of some people that he's been praying for in the area. <clears throat> a lady that sells corn, like grilled corn. And he, I, I tell him, keep, keep talking. Keep praying. Keep talking. Because Jesus is doing stuff. You just don't see it yet. Guys, it's the same for us. When it becomes the priority. Romans chapter 10, look at this. Verse 1. Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to know my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. That's my heart. That's my heartbeat. As I can say with, with, with everything in me, my heartbeat as, as pastor of church at Briargate, now th- this sounds negative if you, don't, if you don't really listen to what I'm saying, is not necessarily that we get more Bible stories as a church. It's not necessarily that we have more communi- uh, connection and a community and all that kind of stuff. I want those things. But that's not my heartbeat as, as pastor of church at Briargate. My heartbeat is two basic things that all of us in this room, we begin to pursue God so much that we want to reach the lost. My heartbeat is for those houses right across the road over there. My heartbeat is, is just drive through the communities, pick a house, randomly pick a house. My heart is that that person in that household knows Jesus Christ. And that that as the pastor, my responsibility is to get us thinking and motivated and seeing why. Because at the end of the day, I really do believe it's absolute truth. I believe this girl actually tattooed the most important thing she could put on her body, and she doesn't know it. I have been redeemed and washed clean. I would like to put a parenthetical under that. I could write it in marker. It says, by the blood of the Lamb. Because it's the only way it happens. She's got truth, absolute truth on her body and doesn't know it. Guys, this is, this, is, this, is, this is vital. It's life or death. This is absolute. He says, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it's misdirected zeal. I, I see this more than anything else. I don't see this, this uh, great um, rebellious anti-God spirit for the most part through America. I, I believe there's percentages, there's tiny percentages that really are just anti-God, but I don't see that for the most part. I don't believe this woman had an anti-Jesus spirit about her. I don't think she hated Jesus. I think she just bought into the lies. There's a lot of lies out there, and she's bought into them. This, this is what he's saying. You, you, you got the heart for God. You got it. You're understanding. You want God. You're just not getting to the real God. You're looking for so many other things. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. Now, he's talking specifically to Jewish people. Guys, most of the the people we meet on a regular basis, daily basis, are going to fit into this category. They're looking for God. They're searching for God. But they're, they're figuring it out in their own way. They're coming up with their own plan. Your own plan will hurt you. Your own plan will destroy you. 
Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of his commands. By faith's way of getting right with God, but faith's way of getting right with God says, look at this, don't say in your heart, who will go up to heaven? That means bring Christ down to earth. Look at the two mentalities here. Who will go up to heaven? How are we going to bring God to us? You don't have to bring God to you. You don't, Jesus came to the earth to die on the cross so that you and I can know God, so that you and I can be right with God. You don't have to try to reach up and figure out a spiritual thing. You don't have to create a religion. You don't have to create some kind of paradigm that says, well, if I do this and this and this, just do what God says. Guys, this is where, this is where the church struggles a great deal with this, is we try to figure out how to bring God to our existence. And if I do this and I do this and I do this, then life will work out well. Even if we don't put a spiritual context to it. If I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this. I, I, I obviously don't have any uh, problem with like um, retirement plans and all this kind of stuff, but I do think that, that Christians get really caught up into this. If I put this together and I do this financially and I do this and then I retire at this time, and I, then, then life is good. You, you, you really don't know that that's true. Scripture teaches against the fact that you can do that much planning and it all work out exactly right. There's too much there's too many things. Plus, at the end of the day, where are you putting your hope in? Where are you putting your foundation in? Is it in God or is it in all of the stuff? I, I remember when right after 9-11, like I'm saying three or four months after 9-11, uh, one of the guys in our church at the time was a um, pilot for United, for United Airlines, and he had hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in his retirement plan and all this kind of stuff. And one day at their their meeting, the executives from United get up and say, oh, by the way, uh, you have no retirement anymore. 20-something years of putting retirement in there, hundreds and hundreds, over a million dollars. Oh, you don't have that anymore. We took it. We needed it. Put gas in the planes. Gone. It's, it's at those moments when you say, okay, what do I really believe in? What am I putting my trust in? Is there any absolutes in my world? Is there anything with this? He says, but faith says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down. And don't say who will go down to the place of dead to bring Christ back alive again. You can't bring God up and you can't bring, I mean, you can't bring God down to you and you can't bring yourself to God or God up to you. You can't do any of those kind of things. And that is what humanity is built upon, is the idea of creating a spiritual paradigm I create that I'm comfortable to live in. And we do the exact same thing inside of Christianity. We build our ideas, and we build our, our theology, and we build all the stuff that, that we're comfortable with, rather than saying, okay, God, what do you really want to do? How do you want to change me today? I, I, I've been talking about this on Wednesday nights a lot, is, to, is when do we get to a point to say, God, what do you really want to change about me? What do you want to change right now? Change something in my existence. In fact, it says, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the, is the very message about faith that we preach. And here it is. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the Scriptures say, anyone trusting Him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is where to, to, to push this and lead this in our world with this. When we get into difficult circumstances, we get into to pressure situations, we get into health issues, we get into marriage issues, all that, do we call on the name of the Lord? Do we say, Jesus, this is the only hope I have? Do we call on the name of the Lord? Lord, you'll say, now obviously he's talking about um, uh, saved to go to heaven kind of mentality, but I think there's a bigger picture here is the redemption mentality. I'm redeemed. Do I call on the name of the Lord? Is that my answer? The first thing, do I believe Jesus can actually save me? Do I believe Jesus is the only option? Do I really believe Jesus is the only option? The second thing, can I put all of my hope in Jesus? Everything I've got, can I put this in Jesus? Have I done this? Can I, have I already put all of my hope in Jesus? And then the last one, can I share this hope and this truth with others? Can I? Do I have a desire? Is, there, is it so profound and so strong in my existence in my life? Lord, I need to put, I need to tell other people about this. I need to. Is my heart hurt for the lost? Is, do, do, I, do I know that they need you so much that I'm willing to say something about it? Why don't you stand with me? So for us to, to pray about this, for us to make a decision, for us to do something with this, comes to this mentality, at least for me right now, is to say, Lord, I, I just need to trust and believe that you're the everything. That your word is the absolute truth and it doesn't matter what society tells me. I'm having this conversation more and more and you would think with just younger people, I'm having this conversation more and more with people of all ages. Do I really believe that Jesus is, is the absolute only way, only truth, and only life? Because we're getting so much. Do I believe he's the only? He's the only when I come to the situations, do I believe he's the only? And I really believe that, that many of you are going through stuff right now where you have to answer that first. I'm going through this issue. I'm going through this circumstance. This has happened in my life, my world. Jesus, are you truly the only? I need to get to that. I need to spiritually, mentally, do I believe he's the only? Or believe maybe there's a lot of other options. Let's pray. God, we, we come before you. And uh, Lord, first we just, we humble ourselves before you. You're the king, Jesus, and we're not. You're the everything, Jesus. You're the beginning and the end. We're just your creation. Lord, I, f I first pray for any kind of mentality or thinking process in this room right now that would, that would, that would limit you or pull you down. Any kind of thinking that, that would say there's more options than just Jesus. Lord, I pray against that. In the name of Jesus. Lord, if anybody in here is, is thinking that way, that you're not the only way, that you're not absolute truth, God, I ask you to reveal it to them right now. Reveal it to them and convict them and help them to get it straight with you. Lord, we have to believe you are the everything. You are the everything. God, I, I pray for different people in this room that are dealing with difficult circumstances, tragedies, 
issues in their lives, financially, physically, relationally, whatever, that they're just really big things and it's attacking their knowledge of you in their life. God, give them a, a foundation, a spiritual um, solidness right now that says you are the answer, that they can turn to you. They can turn to you no matter what, they can turn to you. That you're the healer, you're the provider, you're the all in all, that the answer is you. Lord, I pray for people in this room that are trying to talk to people at work and at home in their community. And they're having to deal with just different belief systems, different mentalities. Lord, this can be so confusing and difficult when we're trying to witness and, and talk with people. We can't learn every mentality out there. But Lord, at the end of the day, give them a confidence that you are the hope for this person that you are life for this person, that your Holy Spirit will answer the needs for this person if they will stay strong in their spirit and believe that you're the only hope for them. God, that you will display that. You will, you will give that in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, keep your head bowed. And I want to ask the, I want to ask the question, um, any of these three areas, maybe something that's a little bit different for that. If you, if you say, that's what I really, I'm, I'm really struggling in one of these areas. I need, I need to know that I know that I know that Jesus is God. I need to know. I, I ask you just to raise your hand. Say, I need, I need some confidence in my spirit. I need some, some help with this. Yeah, okay. All right. A anybody else? All right. Guys, there's nothing wrong with saying, man, I'm just, I'm just struggling. It just hit me from all angles. Everything's hitting me. Lord, I need the confidence. I need to know. I need the confidence. God, you, you see the hands. You, you know. You know who's struggling with this. And Lord, I know that you love us. I know that you're patient and you're graceful with us. That you've got such a big plan. Lord, I know this. This young lady at the restaurant, I know that you love her so much. Your heart is hurting for her. She just needs to know you're, you're amazing, that you're the answer. Lord, for every one of us in here, that's what we need. We just need to know you're the, you're the answer. It doesn't matter the question, you're the answer. You're the everything. We thank you for this. We thank you, Lord Jesus. God, give us, give us a strength in our spirit. Give us a good confidence and a hope that all of this is about you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray specifically right now that every single one of us in here, that we're going to have opportunities to, to talk about you this week. Lord, help us not to be quiet. Help us not to just sit there Lord, to say something and to know that you are the hope because you're the only truth. You're the only true life that anyone can ever have. So Lord, we ask you to help. Help every single one of us in here. Anoint us and just help us to just take that little step, even in trepidation, take that step and to trust that you are the, the answer for them. Lord, we also pray for our pastors in India. God, continue to bless them with your spirit. 
Lord, let that gospel get into people's minds and their hearts. In Jesus' name, God, the, the Muslim group that he showed it to, help them to see the amazingness of who you are, Jesus. The Hindu group that he showed it to, help them to see that you're the answer and that there is hope. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God will give you the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. Do it. Take it. You're going to have chances. Take the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus, and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. He will. He will honor that. So shake somebody's hand. Hug their neck. Tell them how good looking that they are. Don't forget to talk to Anna after service. If you've got any questions, you need one of uh, uh, her, her information cards out there. And, uh, and, and pray for her. Continue to pray for her. She's jumping into this soon. We will see you guys Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your day.
what happens on the mountain can't stay on the mountain. What happens here has to get there. And God's delivery system is called faith. A little bit of faith. A little bit of faith. There are some things in our lives and in our community and in our city that by the power of the word of God and by the power of our worship are about to move from here to there. 